what's it like to be a successful business owner and then diagnosed with Lewy body dementia? Can you still function in the world? And do people really want to talk to you after the fact? Stay tuned. You might be surprised. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional, and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for, and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. It's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And this is going to be a rather unusual show. But before we start, I'm going to ask a favor of you all. As you know, typically I ask this question or make this request at the end of the show, where I say, if you like the show, please share it with a friend, a family member, or somebody who can benefit, because it can be a gift that you give to them. And this is my gift to you. But in this case, our two guests are incredible gifts to everybody here. And I am so thrilled to have Dr. Al Powers back with me and his friend, Barney Nelson, who is from Portland, Oregon, and is not just an entrepreneur, a very successful business professional, but he is a patient, or I hate the term patient because I think it's kind of cold an awesome individual who's been diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. And I thought it would be a rather interesting episode to even have a discussion with somebody at this stage in their diagnosis or progression who can explain what this is like along with a top-notch, globally renowned geriatrician and person who also understands the, the impact of pharmaceutical treatments or not on this. But more importantly, I really want to dive in with you, Barney, on how this all happened and just share with our listening audience, what is this all about? And and just what got you down this path, even to begin with, to notice that you were having some problems and what to be afraid of and what not to be afraid of? Well, in my case, you know, I, I had my own business and I was pretty good at multitasking. I'd have a spreadsheet going, an email going, a few other things going at the same time, being able to toggle back and forth. And I started noticing that I was struggling to do that. I would go to one thing and then try and go back to what I was doing before and it was gone. It was lost. And that's when I started to really think about maybe, you know, there is something going on with me. Now, all of us would say, well, I felt like that. I walked into the garage and wondered, you know, why did I come out here? But I think all of us, most of us have a really good feel for our body and our minds and our brains and how we operate. And we kind of can sense when things aren't exactly right. I think that's true of a lot of people. Some people don't necessarily want to talk about that or even face that, but they probably know something. So I started looking into different types of things that could be causing some of these cognitive issues that I was having. And naturally, one of the places I started looking was dementia. And when I started looking at what kind of symptoms I was having, it happened to line up very well or very closely to Lewy body dementia as I learned more and more and more. So I kind of went on a personal journey of discovery. Uh, so this was actually so, more than just the ADD entrepreneur because I get you have 5 million screens open. I do it all the time. Right. My husband will come into my office and say, 
you have too many screens open. It's like, no, this is the way I work. Just, yeah. just deal with it. I'm dealing with it. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like I said, I mean, people tend to know, I think, I believe, when things are maybe a little off for them from a cognitive standpoint. Now, of course, the other thing that happened was there are really kind of four main uh, kind of diagnoses or signs, I guess it's probably the better way you, you would say it, of Louis body dementia. One of them is executive thinking, cognitive types of issues. You get confused easier. Uh, this ADD sort of type of thing where you lose your thought, you lose your train of thought, all that. That's one of them. Another one is REM sleep disorder, rapid eye movement and sleep disorder, where you're acting out your dreams and bounce flying out of bed when you're still asleep and those types of things. So I'm going to stop you there. The REM sleep disorder, for those who don't understand it, can you explain a little bit more? Because the way you're describing it, I think of my dog who'll be laying on the living room floor in the middle of the night and you hear woof, 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 and the legs are going and everything like that at the same time. That's not the same thing from a people perspective. Well, you know, actually, that's, I haven't thought about that analogy, but that's pretty good. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you're literally you're acting out your dreams. Um, and it can get very scary or other times not. You can come flying out of your bed and land on the floor. There's a whole interesting idea between what's the difference between night terrors versus REM sleep disorder. And I can't give you a good answer on that one. I'm not sure anybody really can at this point. Al uh -huh. might be able to. But uh, so there's that. And then there's the Parkinsonism. There's a lot of Parkinson's related types of symptoms be between the two of them. In Parkinson's and uh, uh, Lewy body. And the, I was seeing that starting to go get worse too, the tremors, particularly in the hand. It would seem like it, that was, you know, progressing. And then the last one was, is kind of hallucinations in some form or fashion. And when I started having those, that became the real, there is definitely something going on here. Hmm. Uh, then I started looking at secondary characteristics, which are autonomic issues you know you have auto, you have an autonomic system you're breathing your intestines all that when you start having problems with that then you know that's potentially a secondary characteristic now of, what kind of breathing problems can you describe that a little bit more yeah and i haven't had a really very hard every once in a while just a little bit of rapid breath i'll wake up in the morning i'm having rapid breath that one really hasn't affected me a lot and i must say that one thing about it is and it's just so just trying to catch your breath like yeah, a little you bit of that. And it's also true of swallowing, maybe more so with swallowing, that another autonomic type of function. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that can lead to, for a lot of people with Lewy body, can lead to pneumonia, difficulty swallowing, means food gets into the wrong places Air like your trachea, yeah. gets infected, you've got pneumonia, and, and you know, there you go. So uh, I, think, I think I lost my train of thought, though, as to where we were on this thing. I'm sorry. Hey, you're you're just okay. mentioning the secondary symptoms and the autonomic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, the way the, the medical community looks at it is, first of all, it's almost always a symptoms-based diagnosis when it comes mm -hmm. to dementia. Most of the time, it's they do it based on the symptoms that they're seeing and the progression of certain symptoms. But there, increasingly, there are some particular types of medical type of uh, tests that can be done. One of them is called a DAT scan, D-A-T scan which used to be, it was legal in Europe for quite some time, but it was not legal here in the United States until recently. That yeah. one is really focused on Parkinson's type of stuff and therefore can also kind of build the case around it being Lewy body also. So those are all things that kind of I went through along with some neuropsych testing and some neurologists, working with some neurologists and all that to get to the point where I really kind of understood and knew that, you know, 
there was something wrong here and it, boy, it sure looks like based on everything I'm seeing here and learning about in terms of symptoms and all that, it sure looks like, uh, some form of Lewy body. So. Al, I'm going to switch over to you because sure. I had Dr. Michael Okan, who's, who's also head of the Michael J or on the board of the Michael J Fox foundation for Parkinson's. And he had explained in a previous show, and I'll put a link to in the episode notes, that Parkinson's is often misdiagnosed. So I'm going to presume that sometimes the misdiagnosis of Lewy body versus Parkinson's, there's a confusion between the two. Is that is that true, Al? That's true. They're all part of the same family. If we look at what we call Parkinsonism, which is this family of movement disorders, then Parkinson's disease is a big part of that. But also Lewy body dementia is part of that family and also some other disorders. And, um, and Barney mentioned autonomic disorders when you have some other related types of dementia or of neurologic problems. You can have, for instance, blood drops in blood pressure when you stand up with certain forms. That like a syncope a big, type of thing and yeah, you pass big, out or you problem. get lightheaded? That's more the type of thing that, say, Dudley Moore had. He had a different form of a Parkinsonism that went with that. But usually with Parkinson's, as is with Michael J. Fox, you can live many years without having significant cognitive problems. And usually when people do get dementia due to Parkinson's disease, they've had the disease for a long time before there's any cognitive problems. When you see somebody where the cognitive problems begin at the same time or shortly before or shortly after, that is probably more correctly Lewy body dementia. And that's where sometimes the first thing you may see is a little bit of rigidity or tremor, and you may say, oh, I think it's Parkinson's. But then it may be obvious, then you may see the REM sleep disorder or the visions or other things may come out, and then you might say, no, actually, that wasn't Parkinson's disease. That's that's Lewy body. So we use the descriptive term Parkinsonism to talk about okay. some of the movement disorder problems. And you can see Parkinsonism with other forms in the family. Parkinson's disease is the very specific thing that starts with the movement disorders, the prominent tremor, rigidity, those kinds of things like Michael J. Fox is a great example of that. So I'm curious, and this is a question for both you and Barney as well, because as I'm hearing this and listening, it sounds like there's a point when all, everything sort of, I don't want to say collides, but comes together and the symptoms that become noticeable start happening almost one right after the other or fairly close to one another. How far in advance do you think the whole process even begins before we get to a point that there is some some physical evidence in some way, shape, or form that things are just not what they're supposed to be? Yeah, that's a million-dollar question because I think if scientists could understand the early ways to find things, then they would have a better chance of researching ways to maybe intervene before things progress to try to slow things down. Barney, do you know anything about what they think the time course is before prominent symptoms occur for most people? Well, this is actually a really good question. And one of the things that does is absolutely part of what we're talking about is the unpredictability of symptoms as to when they're going to show up, how they're going to present, and how long they're going to hang around, but then maybe go away and then come back. So and it could be slightly different from person to person. Absolutely. Too? And that's absolutely. the challenge. And this wow. is this is why, you know, it's been said by certain people that know what they're talking about that Lewy body might be the most misdiagnosed 
of all of the dementias because it has more symptoms than some other, most other dementias. I mentioned four core characteristics, you know, there's others, not core, secondary characteristics too, that can be looked so at. So this is almost like a true Rubik's cube, because if you're turning it in 5 million different directions, there, what, there's, there could be hundreds of different, maybe that's not, that's no, too that, much. That's, but, that's accurate. There's right. over a hundred different Hundreds of different, different little subtleties that happen, right? Yeah. Yep. And you don't know, it could be, you've got a sore throat, you've got a, you just had a bad dream, you missed something in your gait, and then you, know, you jump to conclusions, or maybe you're not jumping to conclusions that something's yeah. going on with yourself or a spouse or or even a parent. And then, then there, there are right? many different types of dementia. And then within each one, you may have characteristic changes in the brain, but each individual is a unique individual with a unique life, unique personality strengths, and unique intellectual strengths or physical strengths. And, and there may be more than one cause to these things. We don't know that there's one thing, like for instance, Alzheimer's, there's a whole cascade of things happening with amyloid, with vascular uh, issues, with sugar metabolism. And it may just be a final pathway for lots of things that can affect you over many, many years. So uh, dementia, even though there are certain trends with Lewy body versus Alzheimer's, the actual experience can be as unique as every single person that has it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I recently heard that there are as many as 100 different forms of dementia. Is yep, that, that is correct. correct? I was trying to do some more research on it, and I haven't gotten the number down exactly. But and, and to make it even more of a conundrum, you can have two different dementias at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Many people you can have, have vascular and Alzheimer's. Vascular yeah. and Alzheimer's. We'll have more than yeah. one. Right, yeah. right. Absolutely. Well, and then there are various forms of Alzheimer's. And, and not to, to put you on the spot here, Barney, but... I think in general, what little we know as, as a public about Lewy body dementia, that seems to sound like the worst case scenario of everything as far as what I've heard. Yeah. Um, by the way, you're not putting me on the spot. I'm here to talk about these kind of things. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And I appreciate you for having this, this conversation. And so getting the word out and educating, you know, Al spends 110% of his time doing that. It's important. Uh, and is a real asset for that. Um, so anyway, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> so, oh, so it's really backing into where I've heard or in general oh, for, I, yes. friends and family yes. members that, that Louis body is like the worst, um, the worst to have, but I'm not sure. I think well, just even knowing that you've got it is probably a gift as opposed to being in denial all the time. Yeah. Well, boy, we could talk about denial for a long time. It's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. All right. Maybe that's another would, show. You know, We're going to go there I'd another lost time. I'm having you on back. That one, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm, I lost the thought again. I am sorry. What was it? So is, would you say of all the different types nah, of sorry. disorders that you know that Lewy body is the worst? This time I promise I've got it. That's, okay. That's generally what is considered the case. Now I have worked with, uh, I did, I've done a little bit of clinical research trial studies with a company here locally and. I've, I've had doctors tell me that they know people that have dementia with Lewy bodies, which is a form of Lewy body dementia. And they'll go figure that out, but that's the way it's described. And 20 years, 15, 20 years later, they're still uh, able to do New York Times crossword puzzles, things like that. If you go and I look, <laughs> and just look at online, it'll yeah. tell you the average time is five to seven years. If you just look online in terms of what happens. Well, arguably I had this since easily since the middle of 2018, because that's when the hallucination showed up and everything else 
had already shown up before then. So that's, what is that, five, six years. And cognitively, even though I've been missing the beat a few times here with us, you know, I've got mild cognitive impairment. And that's, I'm not cognitively in a real bad space. My tremors, I would say, are getting somewhat worse. And therefore, the balance and the gait, the things that Al was talking about that are very similar to the Parkinsonism type types of mm -hmm. issues. My hallucinations are up and down. I haven't had a hallucination in probably four or five months, but then before that, I went a long time, many, many months before having some. However, when I first started really looking at this thing and started having hallucinations, they were more vivid, they were more scary, and they were more repetitive and, and more present. Then it slowed down. So, so that's strange. Are you on any medication to stop this? or? Well, the standard thing that they give you, they meaning most of the neurologists out there, is a, is a product, is a chemical called Aricept. It's also called, generic name is Denepazel. Um, and my doctor put me on that right away. Whether or not it's helping or not, most people think it really doesn't, but that's just personal. Whatever. It's hard to prove. Again, with this up and down nature, how the heck are you really going to be able to prove that there's anything that's really working or not? You know, it's, it's just, it's tough. I, I think now, it's important to say that, uh, yeah, I think it's that when talking about, you know, these, these hallucinations, and it's always a little hard for me to use that word because it's not true. I think anytime you see something that isn't objectively there, it could be called a hallucination. But by that definition, when we're driving through the desert and we see a puddle of water in the road that's out there, we're having hallucinations too. So uh, the difficulty with terms like that is they really lead people into psychiatry and they lead people into thinking about psychosis and schizophrenia. And that leads people to using drugs that are very dangerous to give to people with Lewy body dementia. Yeah. And so that's why I, I sometimes I refer to them as visions, but I think it's important to understand that these are not psychosis like a person with schizophrenia or like a person who's right. having the DTs from alcohol withdrawal. These are probably do more to damage to the nerve cells in the visual part of the brain. And as you know, when nerve cells are damaged, sometimes they fire off funny signals. Like a person who's had a leg amputation can feel like their foot is itching, even though there's no foot there. So when the visual cortex is affected, then it can make you think you see things. It could be lights. It could be a, a child sitting in the corner of the room. And maybe Barney can talk in a minute about a couple of the things that hallucinations are for him. But the important thing to that is this is not psychosis. And not only do antipsychotic drugs not work, but they're very dangerous in Louis body dementia because they cause severe sedation and severe rigidity. And so they're the last thing you want to give somebody who's having these visions, even if they are bothersome. Right. So, wow, I, I'm just blown away thinking about this. But there's something that you mentioned that caught my attention in the course of your last yeah. set of words. And that was, you say, the brain and the nerve cells or the nerve endings, or, or since I'm not a doctor, I'm not yep. describing this right. They, they fire wrong, just like the, the body when it, is, it has, a, has a, a limb amputated might actually feel an itch on the end of the foot when there's no foot there. I'm wondering whether brain cells can actually, or not the brain cells, but the nerve endings can grow back in a different way because they say that nerves can grow back, right? And if they can do that in the brain, is do you think that there might possibly be a way to regenerate nerves in a better or different way to help resolve some of those issues yeah. versus amyloid it, plaque and everything else that everybody's talking about? It's been shown in recent years that you can have some new nerve cell growth to work around blockages or problems. 
We see that sometimes. But not to the extent of fixing it. Yeah. I'm not sure that happens in the vision center of people with Lewy body dementia. I've heard of that. There are certain ways in which the brain can heal itself or can have new growth, other ways where it probably can't. So I'm not aware of that happening. But certainly we can teach people who are having problems with seeing things, ways to compensate, ways to understand what's going on, ways to, to feel calm or to feel okay with what they're sensing so that they don't become you know, frightened or, or increasingly confused by that. The Aricept that, that Barney mentioned, the Depazil, I heard that the theory is that it might increase blood flow to the visual part of the brain. And maybe that's why it would help with some of these hallucinations. But um, as he says, it's controversial at this point. It's what we can give. And some people may think it helps, but it's, it's difficult to say for sure. And the other thing that is tricky is the Aricept itself can cause really disturbing dreams in some people. And so, oh, so that makes things worse. Every yeah. pill has a good side and a bad side. And so it's, once again, just like dementia, whether a pill is going to help or hurt somebody is a very individual thing. We have trends. Aricept may be good for a lot of people, but some people just can't take it. And so you just have to try and see what happens. So Barney, I'm interested in beyond the drugs, are there things that you are trying to do from... I'll call it an exercise perspective, be it mental or physical, to try and help build stronger muscles in the brain or the body to make you manage the diagnosis is better, both from an emotional and a physical perspective, and and help those around you. Yeah, it's that's. I'm glad you asked the question. It's a great question and a very important one because the reality is there are some what can be described perhaps as silver bullets that might, if you can get some help from something, you're going to get help from this. The first one is absolutely exercise. Uh, there's no question. Physical about exercise. Hmm? Physical exercise. Well, uh, we're getting... going to talk about that because you're okay. right. That's, it's a good catch. It's physical exercise. But the next one is, is cognitive types of challenges, which is mental exercise in some ways. And the, one of the keywords there is learning, not just doing a crossword puzzle this, you know, every day or whatever. It's like what they would, that they would always say to you, learn a new language, learn something new, learn. That's really key. And then the last one is socialization. The importance of having friends and socializing with people and all that. So you've got socialization, you've got the cognitive types of exercise challenging, and then you've got the actual physical types of thing. The combination of those three are actually put together in some programs that are around the world that are centered around boxing believe it or not, really, where you're not hitting somebody in the head or you're not getting hit in the head, but you're working the heavy bags and the speed bag. So you, we're getting that kind of exercise. But then from a cognitive standpoint, they're also telling you which kind of, you know, jab now, right jab, left jab, cross, right jab. So you have to, you have to, you know, compute all these things. Well, at the same time, you're broken up into groups of three people that work as a team together and support each other and help each other out and say, nice going, nice going, nice going type of thing. And the combination of those three has, has been found by a lot of people that, because I'm involved in a program like this and I talk to these people and work out with them and they all tell me the same thing. I feel better by those three types of things. Wow. I would imagine just the sometimes the frustration of physically punching a sandbag is probably also mentally good for you to think like, I'm, I'm like getting that energy, that anger out sometimes in a different way. Not that you want to do it, but I would imagine... Not having the diagnosis myself, it's 
the frustration and the why me? Did that ever hit you at any point in time thinking that? Or were you just, you seem like you got it all together. Well, I wouldn't say that when I'm punching a bag and I am hitting it hard. Yeah. Uh, it's not because I'm mad. It's because I'm competitive. And okay. I'd rather, so of all, you know, the 20 of... people in the room, I'd rather be the one who hits it the hardest and looks the most like a boxer <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's just, that's Go just Rocky. me. That's just me. I don't, know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's just me. <laughs> so the other thing that you mentioned is having friends and socialization, people around you. I have seen this happen time and time again when somebody gets a diagnosis or a spouse gets a diagnosis or a parent, the rest of society, friends and family, back away because they're afraid, I wouldn't say of getting something, it's the old adage, but of what to say and how to behave and do I have to act differently where I think we're just afraid of the person who has the diagnosis. Yeah. Do you find that? How do you tell people, like, I've got this and yeah, it's just... I find that, but I like to think that I have figured out ways to kind of help with that. And one of them is, frankly, I'm not in denial. You mentioned denial, and I said that's something I could talk about for quite some time. I, I think denial does nobody any good, if that's the right way to say that. So I don't, I have never been in denial. I got myself to a self-diagnosis until I got an actual professional diagnosis. So I already kind of had a feeling for what was going on and it gave me some time to think about it and my life and everything else. And so I'm at more the, if you look at the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, I'm probably Mm -hmm. more so at the acceptance level, but I will tell you that you can be at different levels and kind of bounce back and forth on that denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. That's been my personal experience. So when people though, that I'm around see that I've accepted my situation and then I throw some humor in and I, you know, I make a a joke about this. We laugh about that. You can see it come over people. It's like this, it's like this relief. It's like, oh, Barney's still Barney. He's still okay. He's doing all right. You're doing okay. Then they feel better themselves too. And they feel more comfortable being around you and talking to you because you're comfortable being yourself and and talking about yourself too. It is kind of ironic that socialization is so important. And yet it's a common experience for people with dementia. They have society, even family members withdraw because of those fears or or not really understanding what to do. And I, I just, if I could just make comment, you said that this was something of an unusual show, but I'm hoping that for, for shows like this in the future, it won't be unusual because I think that if you have someone like Barney, who's had body dementia for arguably at least five years and probably seven, eight or 10 years, when you think about beginning of real symptoms and when you hear Barney speak, and if you're sitting here as we are, where I can see him on camera and and he doesn't have the hallmarks of somebody with advanced Parkinsonism or advanced dementia. The stereotypes we have of what dementia is start to get broken down. There's no way better to fight the stigmas of dementia than to speak to people with a diagnosis and see how they are living their lives and how they are uh, how they are connecting and solving problems. And so I think that this is a, this is just a great step forward to have Barney on the show and to have people have a chance to hear him. When my husband said, so what are you recording on today? And I told him, he says, oh, my gosh, I want to listen to that one. So he'll get a preview, but (laughs) not too far before everybody else. I'm going to step back just a little bit, Barney, and talk about still the socialization aspect. 
because I'm curious, you've handled this by sharing it with others, but what happens when your wife's or your spouse's friends hear about it and don't know how to talk to her? Because that's a little different versus talking directly with you. Has she felt or seen any withdrawal originally from friends and family members who might say, mm, I think I'm going to leave them alone because they're going to keep, they're going to be busy next. You know, initially you kind of look for that. And I found, we found that wasn't really the case. And again, I go back to my wife is very comfortable, not that she's happy about it, but she's very comfortable talking about the situation and how I'm handling it, how I'm playing tennis, which is another great cognitive challenge, you know, the tennis thing and socialization and athletic exercise type of thing that you can do. Um, so people see me in action doing my normal type of thing or whatever for the most part. And it just kind of really calms them down. And, and if they see me like that, and, and if my wife feels the same way for the most part, my wife's a real warrior. She's not going to let pretty much anything knock her down. Uh, that's just not the way she's going to operate. We're just going to move forward. We're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. That's her. She's, uh, she's pretty tough. Pretty tough that way. Move forward, move forward with strength on a positive. Unfortunately, I think too many people just you know, just like, oh, woe is me, and where it's very easy to get sucked down that hole. But if you are um, a person who's been diagnosed or know somebody who's been diagnosed, what are some of the things that you have done beyond the socialization aspect to make things easier down the road? Because you've got this diagnosis, something's going to happen. I mean, it's the same thing to everybody, not to be morose, but I've also said to, often said to people, like, life is a, is a death sentence. You're born and you die. So certainly we're going to get there, not to be a fatalist about things. I'm usually pretty positive and optimistic, but as we get closer towards that other end of the line, I was like, oh my God, you know, there before the grace of God go I type of things. Like, uh-oh, I'm going to get there too. And for some reason, somebody who's in their 90s right now seems pretty young to me. <laughs> Like, you get older, they get younger too. Like, what happened with that? But but what can the person with the diagnosis do to have some sense of responsibility? Because I think that makes the you stronger too, to have, I don't say a chore, but a sense of a teamwork with a spouse or your doctor or others out there thinking about what's going to happen down the road. How do you help out with that? Well, I, I think that, how would I answer that question? I had some answer for a second there. You know, you just have to realize that there is opportunity with a diagnosis. There's, there is some good things that can come out of it, as crazy as that sounds. What there, are the good things that have happened to you as a result of the diagnosis? Well, I think for one thing, I don't think I quite sweat the small stuff maybe as much as I used to. Mm. Uh, you pivot. And also I started playing tennis again. I had taken a 40 year break. I played tennis in college. I took a, took a literally a 40 year break and decided to start playing games. I thought it might be good for me. And lo and behold, when I was playing tennis, I was actually thinking I was starting to feel pretty good or again, the up and down, you never know the up and down is a very real thing, but it kind of makes sense that your brain is being really exercised by having a computer, a tennis ball coming at you at 60 miles an hour. Now, what am I going to do? Where am I going to hit it? All that kind of stuff and everything else. So you find things that you can do still. And one of the biggest things is you focus on, if you're me, you focus on what's going to be the thing that's going to bring 
the most meaning for me in my life. And there's a wonderful book written called The Power of Meaning. And ultimately what it says, which a lot of people say is the best way to find meaning in your life is by service to other people and helping other people. So I think I do a little bit of work nowadays at a golf course as a marshal and I don't look upon it as going out there and telling people they're playing too slow. I look upon it as I go out there and I just talk to them and try and help them out. And if everybody's happy, then I'm happy. And, and that makes me feel good. If I can make people laugh again, joking and all that kind of thing, I feel much more alive that way. So you find the things that still provide meaning to you, which is really important, always very important for all of us, whether we have dementia or not for that matter. But other things too, that you can do that, you know, will be fun for you. And being around friends that are still the same friends that you've had for the most part. And, and like I said, as long as I'm okay, then they're okay is kind of what happens. Interesting. They say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a community of friends and family and, and others to, to embrace what's going on with us collectively so we can be there for one another. Yeah. But, but Al, I want to, Barney is doing this right now in, in his own home environment. When somebody needs to or a family can't handle this at home, you've seen care facilities that also take in people with some form of cognitive impairment. And we're dealing specifically with Louie body because I've seen and friends who have gone through this where the type of care that's happened, predominantly I've seen it overseas, has not been necessarily good. How do you make sure that a care home is really going to care? Well, this is kind of what I've been focusing on for the last fifteen years or more because it, it's all right. So in I, five minutes or less, <laughs> yeah, in five minutes or less. I, I worked in I worked almost for the better part of twenty years as a physician, you know, permanent physician on staff. So I was in the building every day, working with the teams, working with the people who live there. And I think there are big deficits in that. And I think part of it is this over-medicalized view that people are just, that they're declining, that they're failing, that they're incapable, that they need to be taken care of. I think Barney spoke so so eloquently about the need for meaning. Just keep people comfortable and doing for them doesn't give you a life worth living. You have to also be giving opportunities, not just be a care recipient, but to do things meaningful too. And that becomes even harder in a nursing home environment where there's so little that anybody who lives there can do that contributes to the life of the community. And and these are some of the things that I try to teach people is how to create a much more collaborative community where the people that live there can also find meaning and part- true participation uh, rather than just, just um, being taken care of. And with dementia specifically, it becomes really understanding people differently, understanding what upsets people differently and not just treating them as you know difficult behaviors caused by dementia, but saying what's going on, what's missing with this person's well-being that we are not supporting, just like with a disability. Are we making a person in a wheelchair walk up the steps? That's what we often do with people with dementia when we make them engage at our pace or in our way or follow our daily rhythms instead of accommodating theirs like we would with any other different ability. And so it's really about teaching that dementia is a different experience of the world and how do we understand each person's experience and how do we create accommodations so that they can engage to the best of their abilities. And that takes a lot of shifting from a lot of traditional teaching we've had about dementia. So there's both unlearning and learning involved in my seminars because I have to refute some of the things that we've all been trained to think about dementia. And once again, that's why someone like Barney is such a big myth buster because 
if you only think of somebody with Lewy body dementia as the worst person you've seen in a nursing home, then you're not going to understand that there's a whole spectrum and that we can engage people in different ways depending on what they're able to do and what they're not able to do. Yeah, unfortunately, because of the healthcare caregiver shortage out there too, I think many facilities hire at the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And that's not to put people down, but I I say this really as as a red flag warning to families that you don't always assume that the fact that you're putting somebody in a care facility means that they're going to get better care. And you yes, need to choose them very this at home well. Very very um uh, very enlightened and intentional about how you how you look at them. Ideally, if the person who's going to move in is part of that decision, that is by far the best. And then that just applies to nursing homes, but also to assisted living or so-called memory right. care uh, communities, those type of places. Um, they're, they're all over the map as far as quality, as far as how they approach dementia, as far as how they support people. But it's an imperative now. And I sort of lump them in one one stage, yeah. one category, really. I don't mean to do that, we, but it, we it do is that. very fragmented. Yeah, because people are individuals. And, and staging is a very, it's a very, we would call a reductionistic system. It reduces people to just some numbers that don't really describe who they are or who they are or what their capabilities are. And sometimes if you just see a number, then you don't give people the opportunities that they should have. You can have a very low score in a standard cognitive test, and you can play the piano. You can read stories to children. You can help prepare dinner. There's a lot of things you can do, but when we only see the number, we just put people in bed, give them medications if they don't like being there and not doing anything. So once again, it's a big spectrum. We have to be very careful about how we support people, and, and that's certainly what I do, and that's what Barney does too, is educating yeah. people about what dementia is and how we can better support people. But I think this is a critical discussion that we should have. Said of all people in long-term care now, at least have some degree of dementia. So it, it's not just the rare how thing. How much? I'm sorry, uh, least, I missed that number. You said probably at least seventy percent of the people. Sorry, yeah, I just kind of talked over there. Sorry, about seventy percent. Yeah, are living with some degree or more have some sort of cognitive impairment in a care facility. So everybody needs to know wow. about it. It's not just a memory care specialist. People in rehab need to know about it. People in hospitals need to know about it. People in assisted living or retirement communities and people in the larger community because we are surrounded by this ever-increasing population. And it's not going up because dementia is becoming an epidemic. Actually, younger generations may have a lower lifetime risk than you or I do, but we have the baby boomer bubble. And because there's more of us, there's just going to be more people relatively speaking, who are diagnosed with dementia. So for the next 20 to 30 years, we are going to see a large increase in Americans living with a diagnosis. And that means we all have to get a lot better at understanding this and giving people the support they need to live as well as possible. I'm going to start looking at wrapping this up. But before we do that, Barney, I'm interested whether, you know, how many of your inner circle of friends have now included other people with Lewy body or some form of early stage dementia. And has that helped? Yeah. In fact, there's, there are organizations, nonprofit organizations out there that put together regularly scheduled type of Zoom call dementia discussion, if you will, type of meetings where people can once a week can get out on the Zoom call and there'll be multiple Zoom calls throughout the week and just talk about a certain subject perhaps, or maybe just visit and develop friendships and have that kind of socializing we're talking about. Um, Those are people who have dementia or some sort of cognitive impairment, not the caregivers I'm talking about. Oh, correct? the caregivers? 
No, I'm talking about the people with dementia, not the right. Yeah, well, they the actually caregivers. have those for caregivers too, though. What I just described that they I have know. that for caregivers yeah. too. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with that, but but yeah. uh, but that's one of the things that a lot of the nonprofits organizations that are out there really want to provide, because there are a number of people out there that don't have the ability to socialize right now, but they can potentially get on a Zoom call and talk about a subject and share things and have some interaction and have that all important human connection, even though it's through Zoom, not perfect, but not bad. Right. So that's, I think that's one of the yes. bigger things that, that is really starting to come on and has been there for a while and uh, probably needs to come on more as time goes on that making people aware of it is one of the biggest challenges. Just yeah. making people aware that this, these are some things that are out there that you can take part in and here's the benefits of it. And people just give it a try. Dial in. Here's the number. Dial in and see what you're saying. 1-800-CALL-ME-NOW. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Al, do you think Barney is unusual? Um, no, I don't. And it's interesting because once again, I mentioned my years of working in nursing homes. And once again, people come to nursing homes in general because they have more advanced disability. And that's often the reason why they can't manage as well in the community. Uh, so I think that if you are working in a nursing home or if you're a referral neurologist who sees a lot of complex patients, you can get kind of a skewed view of what dementia is all about. And I think that's also the way we portray it in the media and the way the public thinks about it. But as we have gotten better at identifying these things earlier, understanding uh, symptoms like Barney's earlier, before maybe you know a full-blown syndrome is is obvious, we are discovering that there are many people out there who are in these earlier stages, and where we used to say, "Well, okay, five years survival," you were discovering more and more people who've been living like this for many, many years, and and it's just that they weren't identified before, maybe, or we didn't understand what was going on until later in their lives, and so. I think that, you know, my work with people like Barney and many other people I've known around the world living with a diagnosis of dementia is that there's this huge spectrum and that we have to re-examine the, the way we come up with predictions and prognoses for people because there's so many people that we haven't been taking into account when we talk about how long do you live or how quickly do things progress uh, that, that we're beginning to discover. And so as I meet people like Barney, I'm meeting lots of other people who are advocating, who are giving talks, who are writing books, who are hosting conversations with peers or podcasts, joining podcasts like this. And I think that's a good thing because I think, once again, it helps us understand not to put a label on people, not to put certain expectations, but that people are unique and different and there's a whole spectrum and that we need to appreciate this condition in many different ways, just like we do so many other conditions. Having cancer doesn't mean that you are terminally ill for everybody. Having diabetes doesn't mean that you lost your legs. There's a whole spectrum. Right. You need to understand that dementia is very similar. And I think with that, when we start to think of dementia as a disability rather than just a disease, we start to think about accommodations. How do we create a dementia-inclusive society, a community that's more accessible to people with dementia? How do we provide workplace protection so some of the diagnosis may be can continue to work in their job or in a related job and not just have them say, you got to go, you've got this disease. So it really gets into right, civil rights and liberties. And that's something that I've been working on with a couple of my colleagues is how to expand that in a greater fashion and move beyond just the diagnosis to how do we keep people really included in a major way in society. 
This is an important conversation, and I'm so honored to have you both here with me today. And I would like to bring you back another time because I know that there'll be other questions that come along. But for now, thank you, Al Power and Barney Nelson. Without your your willingness to talk about these subjects that so many people are afraid to talk about, we would all be lost. So on that note, thank you. Happy to help. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Tennessee. And like I said earlier in the show, if you like this show, and if you don't like this show, you better tell me because I think this one was pretty awesome. It can be a gift to friends, family members, even if you're not going down the dementia pipeline. It's something that should be a gift to those that you care about and care for because it's my gift to you. And I know it's Barney and Al's gift to you as well. So with that, we'll see you soon or we'll hear you soon. Oh, and one more thing before we go. If you haven't heard, we have a YouTube channel now too. You can get that at YouTube at Elder Care Success. And that's it. Take care. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright Caremanity, LLC.